Well, as a beginning of the new year, and when I heard Pastor Simon was going to be speaking for 11 weeks on Philippians, it's such a wonderful book for a, a new start, a fresh start, and it reminds me of my newness in Christ 44 years ago uh, in January, and um, we have that opportunity to relinquish all the chains that hold us back, and the uh, start of a new year to go into Philippians is amazing. So if you'll turn with me to uh, Philippians 1, and we'll read verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Thank you for the reading of God's word. So if you your Bibles, please turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start there, as Greg said, for the next 11 weeks looking at the book of Philippians, uh, which is known as the epistle of joy. And this joy that the, the epistle, the, the letter is known for is, is contagious. When, when we read of Paul in the letter of Philippians, this joy that Paul has is a contagious joy and which amazes me even more because Paul is writing to the Philippian church and why this joy, this contagious joy is remarkable is that he's writing from prison. Paul is in prison, probably in a Roman cell somewhere. Uh, and if you're in a cell in, in Rome, chances are the people who are looking, uh, who are, you're, you're, you know, keeping you in bondage aren't looking after you. You've got to look after yourself. You've got to get your own food. You've got to take care of yourself, your own needs. And so Paul's in prison and I imagine he's scared. I imagine he doesn't know what's going on. And I imagine Paul could be executed. He could be killed. He could... He may be there forever. He may die in the cell. We don't know. Nevertheless, Paul has this joy, this overflowing joy that he tells the Philippian church. Now, the Philippian church um, was founded by Paul on Paul's second missionary journey. And where is Philippians? Well, Philippians is in Philippi. 
And Philippi is, I don't know, oh, I don't have my clicky doofus. Sorry, Peter, I don't have it. Uh, Philippi is in the top left-hand corner in Greece, all the way there. And it was the first church planted in Europe. So it's the first European church and the Philippian church are precious to Paul. He loves them. And you can tell that there's this, it's reciprocated. Paul loves the Philippian church and they love him and continue to support him. But if, even though the Philippian church is in Greece, it is also a vibrant Roman city. You see, 42 BC, there was this Roman war. You have Antony and Octavian, uh, who later becomes Caesar, Octavian Augustus. Augustus meaning majestic. You got Antony and Octavian, and they have this like, civil war against Brutus and Cassius, and they win. Uh, Italy's just, uh, just a little bit on your left there, and this Roman army comes over in Greece. There's a big civil war, and they win. Octavian wins, and he's got all of these hundreds and thousands of Roman soldiers. And what do you do with all of them? Like, they've kind of won. They've kind of come to the end of their conquest. And so what they find happens is that they settle down in Philippi. Oh, this is nice. And so they don't go back to Rome. It would have been dangerous to go back to Rome for many reasons. And so they settle down in Philippi. And so within this Greek uh, city, you find a little mini Rome happening. And so that's important. Remember that as we go through this book series. It's very Roman, this this. Greco-Roman city has established and Paul loves the church within that city. And so Paul is in jail. He's a little bit nervous. I imagine he's a bit scared of what's going to happen. Nevertheless, Paul says to this Philippian church, rejoice always. At the end of Philippians, he says, rejoice. I rejoice always. And so you should rejoice too. It's called the epistle of joy because not only is Paul full of enduring and contagious joy, but he teaches us how we too can experience joy in our own lives. The word joy appears 19 times in various forms in these four chapters. And I think it's safe to say that, that this, the fruit of the Spirit, which should be manifest which should be evident in the Christ, in a Christian's life, is that the spirit of joy. That joy should be evident and overflowing in one's life when we are walking powerfully with the Lord. If we are to compare the book of Philippians with, say, the book of Galatians, the two are very different. Both are written by Paul, but yet they're strikingly different. Galatians seems harsh. And he rebukes the, the readers. Whereas the book of Philippians is a lot gentler, it's a lot warmer, it's a lot more pleasant. But we mustn't conclude that everything is rosy in the church at Philippi. It's, in fact, it's not. There's division, there's discord, there's disharmony, there's crisis. And so what we find is that there are, in fact, Paul names a couple of people in the book who are fighting with each other in the church. And 
I'm sure this never happens in this church, but if people argue with one another, it overspills into when, I know, two wives are arguing in the church. It goes to the husbands. The husbands have to hear it when they get home, right? And then it spills over to their friends at work. or it's, It just spills over. So when there's discord and disharmony, it affects the church. And what's happening here is there's a potential church divide in Philippi. Nevertheless, Paul says, in all things, have joy in your life and rejoice. Paul clearly loves this church and he's encouraging them in this book how to do life. And so as we look, go through the book of Philippians, I hope there are tools that we can look at this and how we too can do life, how we too can have that joy of the Lord in our own lives. Don't misunderstand me when I'm saying this. Life is tough. Life can be hard. Who finds life hard here? Yes. You know, kids, if you've got kids, they push all of your buttons. I love being a pastor because it's encouraging for me to hear other stories of parents of how, you know, your children have pushed all your buttons to the point where you just want to explode. Kids are tough. We go through the valley of the shadow of death. We can be weighed down with the pain of life, of illness. That's why it's important that we are prayed together because life is tough. Sometimes there are situations which seem beyond us, but the Bible says doesn't destroy us. Sometimes it feels like the world is on fire. I read the news and I just want to say, Lord, stop the world. I want to get off right now. Life is tough. But despite all of this, Paul is teaching us that the basic posture of the Christian should be that of joy. And as we impact the book of Philippians, I trust it will provide us tools for the right living and help us position our lives in joyous optimism and joyful endurance. That's why we've called it joyful endurance. How can we continue enduring life with joy in our hearts? Why? Well, because we know whom we trust and that God will certainly prevail. Basically, the answer is Jesus. Paul tells us that whatever state I am in, he says, I have found contentment. Paul says that because of Jesus, which is eternal, I can have joy in any of the circumstances I find myself, even if that is me being in prison, which is remarkable. My greatest fear is probably going to jail. You know, think, wow. I don't think I would cope. But Paul has joy in his heart. You see, there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is found in happenings. So we find our happiness in circumstances. For example, Christmas morning. To see young children, you know, for the whole month of December, getting all excited and happy for Christmas. And Christmas morning, when they wake up in the morning and see their presents and they're, they're all excited and they run around screaming. And so just, it's lovely to see that. Not so much to my age of 43 when you get a pair of socks at the Christ, underneath your Christmas tree. But happiness is found in happening. Or when, can you remember when you experienced your first kiss? 
you know, behind the, the bike shed or wherever it might have been, right? How joyous you were in your heart. Oh, those little butterflies in your tummy, right? Or having a coffee, watching the sunrise over Maple Bay or taking a holiday, find that you've succeeded, you've, you've smashed your exams and got really great results or made captain of the ice hockey team or whatever, right? These things can make us happy, but they are found and rooted in happenings. Not yet. Yet these things are temporary and may never come. But they may be replaced with despair. We had a, uh, my house church. My house church, um, we've just started a new group. We've got a whole bunch of new families starting in our house church. And the other night we went to play pinball in the Wizard Arcade in Shimanus. One of the guys, uh, Sean, uh, owns that arcade. So we went and we, it's a pinball, right? With the, yeah, am I saying it right? Yes. So, you know, the machines with the pinball goes up and down and we were playing that. Very North American thing to do. And so we were playing it. It was brilliant. I drank root beer playing pinball. You know, I, I had to take a photograph to show my European friends because it just doesn't happen. Root beer doesn't exist. And I've never played pinball in my life. And so we're playing this. We're having a good time uh, as, as friends. And it was a great evening, you know. I was thinking, I'm becoming more and more Canadian every week, you know? Look, I even wearing a, a lumberjack shirt this morning, right? <laughs> Canadian, okay. And so I, even now I'm so happy, right? <laughs> My Canadian shirt. Happiness is found in happenings. But what happened after that I got in my car and I had about 12 kilometers of gas in the tank. And I thought, oh, there's a petrol sta uh, gas station down the road. And so I, I drove to it and it was closed. And I couldn't put my card in. It wouldn't accept my card. I thought, oh no, what do I do? So I drove down to the other one across the, the, the highway in Shimanis. That was closed. And now I'm at eight kilometers of gas. <laughs> Think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? My joy and happiness went from here down to despair. Think, I'm going to break down on the highway here, right? This is not good. I saw it's beginning to rain. It's getting cold. I'm thinking, oh, it's like 10.30 at night. So I, I just drive down the highway. I have about two kilometers of gas in my tank. When I find a little petrol station, I'm going to have to go in there. And thankfully, it was open, right? I was going to... Give Henry a ring. Henry, can you bring a tank of gas? Because uh, I'm stuck on the highway. But it's amazing how our circumstances can govern our emotions, how we feel happy or sad. Happenings is found. Happiness is found in happenings. Now, you can put it on. But joy is found in Jesus. This is the joy. Happenings can be temporary, can come and go. But joy is eternal and comes from the Lord and nobody can take that away from us. It is there. We may lose our circumstances, but we can never lose what we have in Jesus Christ. As Megan said, this morning we are children of God and that's good to be reminded of. Why does Paul have this joy 
as he writes in the book of Philippians, because he's in partnership with Jesus. And he reminds the Philippian church in verse 6, that being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What Christ has started, he will continue to do. And we can have a confidence in that. And that can never be taken away. Jonathan Edwards said, the chief business of the Christian is to press into the kingdom of God, to press on and keep running the Christian race and grow into full maturity as Christian believers. And Paul is doing this full of joy in prison. The second reason Paul can have joy in his heart is that he not only is in a partnership with God and Christ, he's in a partnership with the Philippian church. And this started in Acts chapter 16. Paul goes to um, Philippi and he plants this church. And now he is, as he says in verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel. He says straight away, he's in partnership. And he has this joy. I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you. I always pray with joy because of the partnership that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of the church. We are in a relationship with God and we are in a relationship with each other regardless of our circumstances. That's beautiful. And so... I have three things I want to just introduce us as we start the book of Philippians. I want to, three things I want to highlight. And the first thing is this, that Paul has a shared identity with this Philippian church. Verse one, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul refers to himself as a servant, or as we could say, um, I don't know if it's a great translation. We could say slave. The word servant is doulos, which could be rendered slave. Paul says, I'm a slave. Being a slave in a Greek or Roman city, for the Romans, a slave was nothing. If you became a slave, you lost your rights and your privileges. The connotation is of humility. And Paul is saying, isn't just of himself. He says, me and Timothy are slaves. Now a servant or a slave, a servant might be able to go home on the nighttime, but a slave is subject wholly to his master. And a slave has been bought at a price. Perhaps Paul is saying to the congregation here that he and Timothy had the greatest master, Jesus Christ. And that Jesus had paid a great price for them. Paul might be saying that perhaps he's renouncing all personal merit and recognition and personal ambition because his life is now grounded in Jesus Christ, his Lord and his Savior. Paul's saying, listen, I know I founded the church at Philippi, the first European church, but my life is wholly dedicated and devoted to Jesus. You see, when we give up self, when we give up our selfish ambitions in life, when we serve Jesus with our whole heart, 
all of a sudden, we understand what it means to have that joy and love and kindness, which no one can take away. This word doulos, slave, is also used in the Old Testament. The Septuagint, which if you've been doing the night school, you'll know the Septuagint is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament. The Septuagint uses the word doulos for Moses, actually. Numbers 12 verse 7 says that Moses was a doulos of the Lord, was a servant, was a slave of the Lord, serving the Lord. And Paul is no different. And so you got these great men of God, Moses and Paul, and they're saying, we are serving Jesus Christ. Not just any old servant, but a servant of Jesus Christ. But then he goes and says, in the next verse, he says in verse two, um, sorry, uh, continuing on, to all of the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Paul says, to the Philippian church, he calls them saints, which is a wonderful expression. The word saint basically means believers. So before the term Christian was coined, Christian was used uh, for Christ followers in Antioch. Before the expression Christian came about, everybody was called a saint. If you follow Jesus, you are a saint. Today, you are a saint. Every one of us here this morning, if you believe in Jesus, you are a saint. You are a saint of Jesus Christ. I like that. I think that's beautiful. A saint had a deep meaning Saint isn't just someone that you find, you go to a, a Catholic church and maybe it's a stained glass window, someone with a halo on its head. We are saints in Jesus Christ. The word saint basically means all believers. And it means essentially to be set apart. You see, the word saint is hagios. And the noun for hagios is saint but the adjective of hagios is holy. You are to be holy. God has set apart every believer to be holy, to be set apart for his work. You see, we are saints in Christ at Philippi. Or you could say we are saints in Christ in Duncan. We are saints, we are set apart. We are set apart from what? Well, as Christ followers, we are called to a different order of things. God is described as being holy and set apart. And by the saving grace of Jesus, we too are set apart from the world around us. We are not to conform to the patterns of the world, but to be saints in Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. We are called to follow him and we are called to be set apart together as we share this identity in Jesus together. And if we find our identity in Jesus, like truly, then the spirit of joy will be evident in our lives. This shared identity in Christ is exactly what many of our friends who do not know Jesus are searching for. 
If you know Jesus and he's your identity, then we will be set apart. And we won't find our happiness in happenings, but we will find the joy in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? We are a saint in Christ. We are set apart. Friedrich Schleiermacher was a famous German philosopher who did much to shape the progress of modern thought. One day, as an old man, he was sitting in a park thinking about life and a police officer came over and he thought he was just some sort of homeless fragrant. And so the police officer got hold of him and said, who are you? And this philosopher said, I don't know. I don't know. As an old man, he had his whole life thinking about the meaning of life. And he didn't know who he was. My question this morning is this. Do you know your identity? Do you know who you are? You see, we find our identity in many things. It could be our jobs. It could be our family. It could be the success that we've had in life. Still clinging on to that soccer cup that you won in 1973. You still tell everybody the stories of how you won that trophy. It could be, you see, your career. It could be if you're a pastor, a lot of pastors find their identity in how many people come to church on a Sunday morning. I really don't like going to pastor uh, groups, you know, where all the pastors come together because they always ask me, hello, what church do you go to? How big is it? How's, how's it doing? Oh, come on, really? I just avoid them. I don't want to know. What do you find your identity in? You see, what we find our identity defines us. And if that's taken away, then who are we? If we find our identity in our jobs and then we change careers or we get made redundant, you find, who am I? Find your identity in your family and then you get divorced. You think, well, what do I have? Who am I? You find your identity in the sport that you're doing and then you turn like me, 43, and you can't do it anymore. You think, who am I? What do you find your identity? Paul is saying to all the saints in Christ Jesus, every believer is a saint. We are in the family of God. That gives us our security and status and assurance. Paul says that we share our identity together. Then he goes on in verses three to six. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of the partnership of the gospel for the first until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that we share a same task together. We have the same task. Church isn't just coming together for the sake of it. You, you can do that in a rowing club. If you want to just come together for some fun, join a, join a, a club somewhere. But church is a lot more than a club. Paul says that we, in verse five, we are partners in the gospel. 
We share a task together. We're partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we think about partnership, we're not talking about fellowship. You know, like when I think of church fellowship, I think about coming together on a Sunday afternoon, drinking tea and having digestive biscuits, you know, out of fine china. Do you know what I mean? Right? We're not doing that. That's, that's nice to do, but that isn't what church is about. Church is a lot more than fellowship. It's a partnership. And when we think of partnership, I think of business. When you come in a partnership in a business, you have a, a common aim and a common direction and you know what you're doing. This is church. Paul is saying that we are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means a lot. It means that we have a real fellowship and a real fellowship is active. We're in the business of getting people and telling people about heaven, about Jesus. It means getting stuff done together. When we are partners in the gospel, it means a whole bunch of things. It means when we have a community meal, rubbing shoulders together over the sink, washing the dishes. And I love that. I love when we, the, the, the kitchen team, when we have a community meal. It's, a, such a, it's the most fun team. We're laughing together and we're kind of getting wet together and, you know, whatever. It's, just, it's a fun time. Being partners of the gospel means coming together on a Wednesday morning at 6.30 to pray together. We're not just, you know, praying about fluffy stuff, but we're meeting with God. We're praying for people's salvation. We're, people, we're praying for people's health. This is, this is, you know, we're on our knees before the Lord doing business with God. We're partners together. The most important Meaning of the week for me, and the, the one I look forward to the most, is the prayer meeting at 6.30 on a Wednesday morning. The porridge is nice, you know, but the prayer, we're meeting with God. We want to see the kingdom of God here in Duncan, and it starts with prayer. We do it together. I am, <clears throat> partnership comes in many forms. One of the things I'm excited about at the end of March, I can say this now, it's, it's official, is that New Life and Cape and Ray Bible School, we are in partnership together. And we're going to do something called Love Duncan, where for a whole weekend, they're going to send all of their second year students to be with us here at New Life Church. And for the whole weekend, we're going to go out in our area in the, the Duncan area, and we're going to just blitz it. And I hope the church can get involved as well. So Cape and Ray and New Life Church are going to come together with the youth who are busy out, you know, doing on Thetis Island right now. We're going to come together and we're going to just get out there and we're going to share the gospel. We're going to, you know, if you play the guitar, you can, you can play the guitar on the high street. We, you know, we can... Preach from the word if you want to practice preaching. You know, I'll buy you a soapbox and you can, you can go out and Duncan and you can practice to your heart's content. We're going to go paint fences. We're going to rake leaves. We're going to do whatever. We're going to just get out there and show people what it means to be a saint of Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. Who's excited? 
Somebody put that, yes, one, well, one's excited person. Me and you and the Cape Ray people, we're going to get out there. But Paul is in the gospel. We're going to invite people and there's going to be an alpha course afterwards. We want to get out there and preach Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a partner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says that we are gospel, Paul is in the gospel. The Philippian church are sponsoring and supporting Paul in all that he's doing. Paul here is in prison, but they've sent Epaphroditus to him to give him financial aid. They are financially supporting Paul in what he's doing, preaching the gospel. Perhaps that's one way you can support the church and its ongoing endeavors to to do church, to preach Jesus. You may wish to give, financially, you may already do that. But if you don't, that's one way that we can be partners in the gospel together by giving financially to the church so we can continue having the lights on and we can continue doing the Lord's pantry and we could continue being partners in the gospel. But it's not in our strength that we are partners. But verse six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work and you were carried on, to completion into the day of Christ Jesus. It is Christ working in us and continue to work through us that we do this, which is encouraging because do you know what? We all make mistakes. So whatever mistakes we've made in the past, we can forget about them. In Jesus Christ, we can put them aside and we can look forward and continue ministering together in Jesus Christ. Do not let regret, regret's such a useless emotion. Do not let regret hinder you in Christ Jesus. You see, in Christ, he's forgiven us. He's working in us and continues to work in us. And that's one of the reasons we can have joy in our hearts. So my question this morning is this for us. Are you a partner of the gospel? Or are you a passenger The Bible doesn't talk about passengers in Jesus Christ coming along, just sitting around on a Sunday morning. It says we are partners in the gospel, committed to gospel vision of the church, committing to putting our energy and passion behind the work. Are you a partner or are you a passenger this morning? Paul says my third thing and my last thing, he says that we have a shared aim together. We have a shared identity we have a shared task and we have a shared aim. It is right for me in verse seven, he says, to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and conforming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge of depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Have you ever worked on a project with others who don't really share the same aim as you, the same objectives? You're kind of pulling against one another. You work together, but you aren't really heading in the same direction. It can be a nightmare. You pull each other apart. But Paul is saying here that we have the same aim. It is in Paul's prayer 
Verse 9 to 11, Paul says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. This isn't some, some sort of mushy, romantic type of love that you get in a, in a Disney movie. That kind of love is more emotional than sacrificial. This is a love based, that Paul is talking about, based on God and spiritual insight. It's a love that can be discerning. It wants the best for the church and for each other. You want to see what love can really do when we are in Christ and we are seeking discernment and depth of insight? That sort of love can change the world, can change people's lives. I look at the lives of the Christians like John Newton, who aided the abolition of the slave trade, or John Wycliffe, who was burned at the stake for getting the Bible into the hands of ordinary people. I look at Kori Ten Boom, who helped hide Jews from Nazi murderers. I look at Mother Teresa and her fearless opposition to abortion and the marginalization of the poor in India. That's Christian love based on knowledge and insight of Jesus Christ. That is an aim that we can all strive for. The more that we grow in the knowledge of God, the more that we allow the Holy Spirit to develop in our hearts, and the more that we grow in our love, the more that we will be able to be radical together as a church, stepping out and transforming the world for Jesus Christ. Paul prays for love. He prays for discernment. A discernment that we are rooted and grounded in Jesus. So our comforts, when our comforts, or if our comforts are taken away, we are still grounded and find the joy. Because happiness is found in happenings, but joy is found in Jesus. And Paul wants us to know and be sure and certain that our joy is found in the inheritance that we have as children of God. Nothing can take this away. There's a song that we sing called Cornerstone and it goes like this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He's my light. He's my strength. And my song says this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. We sing this song. I like it. It's, a, it's got a catchy tune. But the words are deep and meaningful. I like it when Jesus tells the disciples, the disciples, the 72, in Luke go out and they go ministering and they come back and they say, Jesus, we can do amazing things. We can cast demons out. And Jesus says to the disciples, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, don't rejoice in the things that you do but rejoice that your eternity is sealed. That's where you find our joy. Be content in what we have in Jesus Christ that can never spoil, rust or fade. So this is the heart of the Christian joy. We have a shared identity. We are saints together. We have a shared task. We are partners in the gospel. 
and we have a shared aim to grow in our love and discernment together. That kind of loving fellowship is a powerful source of joy. Let us pray and we're going to come and have a time of communion and just thank the Lord for what he does in our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who continues to invest in our lives every day. We thank you, Lord Heavenly Father, that you continue to work in us and the job that you've started, you will continue. We thank you, Lord Heavenly Father, that together as a church, we have so much to be grateful for that we are saints in you, that we are partners and that we continue to grow in love for one another and for you and for our community. And I thank you, Lord Heavenly Father, that can never be stripped away or taken from us. And I pray as we take our communion this morning, Lord, that we are reminded in all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen.